Welcome to the Road to Seven podcast, guiding and supporting entrepreneurs along their road to seven figures and beyond. Here's your host, Sheila Cummins. Welcome back to the Road to Seven. My name is Sheila Cummins, and I specialize in helping women entrepreneurs just like you launch, grow, and scale their business so that they can increase their impact, maximize their profit, and continue to grow a business that they love. Today, I'm interviewing Tracy Costa, the CEO and founder of Peekaboo Beans, the Canadian children's clothing company. In 2003, after several years of infertility, Tracy Costa was blessed with her first daughter. She quickly realized a lack in the market for good quality, stylish clothing that focused on empowering children to independently dress themselves and that was designed with their daily active lifestyles in mind. On a mission to provide a better alternative to children's wear, Tracy founded Peekaboo Beans in 20. in 2006. Tracy is fiercely passionate about the benefits of unstructured free play in a world of overscheduling and the growing concern of the endless technological distractions. Peekaboo Beans is now sold through an omni-channel approach with a focus on e-commerce, utilizing the power of social media and a supportive community of parents across North America who are just as passionate about the product and spreading the important message of the benefits of play for children. In 2016, Tracy executed a public offering on the TSX Venture Exchange for Peekaboo Beans and has raised over $5 million for the company. She currently holds a seat on the board of directors of Playground Builders, is a Woman of Distinction Award winner, and received the Top 40 Under 40 Award in 2010. She is a strong advocate for creating a culture that supports families and parents and was honored with the YWCA Outstanding Workplace Award. Tracy, her husband Brad, and their two daughters live in British Columbia, and together they play a lot. And today, Tracy and I do a deep dive into how to pivot to keep up with the changing demands on your business. This is an episode you won't want to miss. I am so excited to talk with Tracy Costa today from Peekaboo Beans, clothing that is so beautifully designed for children who love to play. Tracy, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, Tell us a little bit about your Peekaboo Beans story. I mean, it's such a beautiful mission that you have. Thank you. Sometimes we create products for ourselves that we find that there's a lack in the market for, although I didn't necessarily know that at the time, but I, my story kind of goes that I had 10 years of infertility, um, which was a really, obviously a very difficult time for me and my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just so um, distraught that I might not be able to be a mother, which is what I wanted to be more than anything in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, through in vitro, we were able to conceive our first child after five years of in, 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 infertility, sorry. Mm -hmm. And um, so Kaylin was born. And um, at the time, I just, you know, everything changed for me as far as how I looked at um, just the way that I looked at life, everything changes when you have children. And, um, and I just saw life through her eyes, she was busy, she was active, she was curious. And yet the clothing that she wore that I bought for her that was available to me to purchase didn't really focus on her developmental needs when she was learning to 
stress and learning to potty train and being active and transitioning activities. And, and also I found that there was a, a big concern for me was just the consumption of fast fashion. So mm-hmm. everything that I bought really had a short lifespan. Just looking at what was happening in the, at the time in the, the market, Lululemon was just sort of coming to a rise. I live in Vancouver and seeing what they were doing about building a culture around a you know, really healthy lifestyle, I thought, why isn't something like this for kids mm-hmm. focusing on a playful lifestyle? Because mm-hmm. that's at the heart of everything is what kids do. That's their work. I love it. So that idea was just filling a solution. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no background in fashion or a, a, apparel or textiles or manufacturing at all, but took a giant leap of faith to try to fill uh, a niche within the marketplace and do something better for kids and better for um, the environment. But I find, I find that so fascinating that you didn't have a background in fashion or design or sewing. How did you make that leap from, I have these visions of clothing that I know my kids need. What do I do next? Yeah, it's so funny because if I actually thought about it back then, like I almost was going in with such naivety, uh, but just really drive and passion and a desire to create something better. I literally built a business plan from scratch. Mm-hmm. I, I have a high school diploma. I didn't go to post-secondary school. Mm-hmm. Um, my sole purpose in life when I graduated was to move out of my house, just become like a productive human and, <laughs> um, and, and have my own place and my own rules and my own, you know, just make my own money and, and be independent. So that's what I did. I had, a, I guess I had a lot of passion and, and drive, but I built the whole entire business plan um, I went out and I learned the entire, I went to, I, I started investigating like trade shows and mm-hmm. conferences and things mm-hmm. that I could go to, to learn the apparel side of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started going down to Los Angeles and really learning about textiles and fabrics and design, started educating myself locally about all the manufacturing. At that time, Vancouver did manu- have more manufacturing options just because mm-hmm. Lululemon at the time was still manufacturing here. Mm-hmm. Um and so we had a lot of resources with Apparel BC, and I was able to just really immerse myself into the world. And I, I literally learned everything on my own. I, wow. I found manufacturers, I found pattern makers, I learned the whole design process, I learned the whole everything. I mean, I designed the product myself too. So it was quite a, you know, when I think about it now, yeah. I, I literally had no idea what I was doing, but I just did it. I took one step and the next step that I, I networked and I went to networking events and I went to got mentorship, went to like join the forum for women entrepreneurs um, and just things like you're doing as well as just connecting to those resources and take it. Oh, and then I ended up raising money. I found shareholders. Oh, you did that. I was actually, that was one of my next questions is did you bootstrap this whole business or did you get an investment? No. So I had seed partners. I had been working with investment bankers, in my, my my former life Mm -hmm. and I worked for entrepreneurs who built their businesses and I had been with them for over 10 years helping them build their businesses from an operational standpoint and so they had kind of seen how just passionate and driven and hardworking I was and when when I went through all my infertility and then conceived and presented this idea to them they of course were so happy to help help find the capital fund the business 
so what I did was I took a, I just incorporated a company mm-hmm. and then I had seed, seed partners. So mm-hmm. they didn't do anything as far as the business went, but they, they put in a percentage of capital. There was two groups and myself, um, and so with two groups, I mean, two individuals who have their own companies, mm-hmm. they put in seed capital, and then I ran the business. And right. then it, it proceeded from there. I, I have, I mean, obviously had to raise more money along the way. So mm-hmm. ultimately, down the road, like the story just goes on, I ended up taking the company public mm-hmm. um, three years ago, which is a massive undertaking. That is but huge. I, it's huge. And so I wanted but I wanted to take company to an international level I never wanted it to be like if we're gonna if I'm so passionate about children so passionate about the power of play in in the world um and obviously the sustainability piece like I don't want to just touch Canada I want to be able to touch um you know all areas of of the world so in order to do that you need to capitalize your business so yes yeah so I started out with seed capital and then and and, you know a lot 14 years later well at that time it would have been 11 years later um, found new ways to fund the business. So that's a whole other story. That is, but and I think we might need yeah. another podcast just dedicated yeah. to going public. Absolutely. Well, I've done, I've done podcasts on um, like capital, like capital needs and raising mm-hmm. money and all of that. So mm-hmm. that's another interesting kind of aspect to the business. Right. Well, let's go there next time. So give us a little yeah. bit of a, a picture of the time frame. Like you had this vision of the clothing, you had the purpose and the passion. Mm-hmm. That's very clear. When did you start selling? How long did that take? So I incorporated the business on October 14th, 2005. Mm-hmm. And between 2000, like end of 2005, um, to summer 2006, I launched my first collection. Between that time, like, so like under, under, like, I guess it was about eight months or something like that. Right. I uh, learned everything, found manufacturing partners, found pattern makers, all of the things that I would need to actually bring a product to market, created a whole collection, like a, a small collection, say there might have been 12 pieces, Yes. like 12 different um, garments, but we manufactured, I think uh, my first production run was 3,000 pieces. 3,000 pieces um, out of 12 individual twelve styles. products. Yeah. yeah, across six sizes at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole concept was just like a capsule, like the clothing that lasts can be passed down, has grow with me features, has um, features that help little thumbs learn to dress with their zippers, uh, yes. easy on, easy off, mix and match, transitioning activities. So it's just really it's a small collection, but I went in and then I, when I produced the collection, I didn't have any typically in a, in a back then in a wholesale environment. And if you are in a wholesale environment now, you would, you would actually place, you would buy, you would make samples, you would place the order, uh, you would take orders from stores and then you would produce those pieces and deliver Mm -hmm. them. But Mm -hmm. at that time I didn't do that because I didn't have any customers. So I produced 3000 pieces and then went out and sold it. Yeah, a lot of that too was naivety as well. I mm-hmm. mean, I didn't know that at the time. You, you do these immediate, but I literally had my suitcase that I went store to store. Um, I traveled across Canada, and people loved the product. And mm-hmm. I had, I had, obviously, like with any story, there was challenges. You know, people were like, "Oh, people aren't going to pay." Like reps would say, "People aren't going to pay the prices for this," and you know, and this isn't, you know, this this isn't kind of a normal um, apparel product that's meant to kind of last. And, Mm -hmm. you know, usually it's just really like about fashion and Mm -hmm. fast fashion and more and more. Whereas we were more about like buying great, great solid 
pieces that you're going to maybe not that it was out of a price range, but just was bit you know, had value in it that we really wanted to show the value of the product and that right. it lasted. So it's not without its challenges, but I, I mean, over between when I launched to 2009, um, we were in about 400 stores across North America. Wow. So, so, and I did a lot of this, I did a lot of the initial sales and then I ended up bringing on sales reps in like LA and New York and Dallas Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, in Canada. So, Mm -hmm. you know, each, each step of the way, there's kind of a new thing that, you know, happens and then you're sort of solving for those things as they come along. So I was kind of like a work, a work in progress all the time. It was (laughs) because I was learning. (laughs) One of the things that I really am intrigued about your company is how you've been able to evolve your selling process as the times Mm -hmm. change. You know, you said it that just when we were talking before we started, you made mention of how the retail landscape has changed so dramatically. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you went from selling in stores, having sales reps to now using what you, you refer to as an omni channel for selling? Mm -hmm. So I think that in any business, what I would share from my experience, and it was easier for me even though it's very challenging but it's easier because we're smaller I think if you're a very large company it's hard to pivot quickly or mm-hmm. be nimble to the mm-hmm. environment what's happening in in the economy but I think being really aware of what's happening around in the landscape and kind of being nimble and um, and being flexible with the business mm-hmm. and sometimes things present themselves where you have to create you know solve for it, you have to create solutions for it. So um, we started selling wholesale, but that's all I really knew how to do at the time. Mm-hmm. E-commerce wasn't even really big at that time, right? And um, so we sold to boutiques, and then um, the the recession hit in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and boutiques. I really witnessed boutiques going out of business because most of these smaller boutiques are like mom and pop businesses, and mm-hmm. as the economy was kind of in a downturn, a lot of these stores, people weren't shopping at the stores and they weren't spending that money so that they didn't have the cash flow to keep their businesses going. So they were canceling orders. So it was kind of like a pushback on all levels, you know, sure. what was happening. And at the sure. the end, that was a, a result of it was us not, you know, having those orders be canceled. But at, at the same time, my gut feeling while I was growing the business was I don't, I really don't like this process of selling to other retailers and then them selling my product because mm-hmm. it loses its voice. Mm. It loses its brand kind of, you know, story. So I'd always kind of thought along the way that I really wanted to own my sales force, like to be able to have my own sales force that, that told our brand story, that was passionate about what we, why we were creating it and really get this, this ambassador kind of following. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started to pivot the business in 2010 to a direct sales, which was the party plan. Uh, home party kind of environment, which mm-hmm. was really booming at mm-hmm. the time. And, you know, it's a $36 billion industry in the U.S. And in Canada, it's quite thriving too. And so we built through a direct sales network and started empowering women to be able to sell the product, earn a commission. And we had like an amazing run at that for probably five or six years. Uh, and we we love that. Uh, and then also during that time started to recognize that there's also a change in that direct sales industry that mm-hmm. people don't want to necessarily like the rise of social media and Facebook and Instagram and 
influencers and social media and all of that, people don't actually want to go to somebody's house, leave their family, um, be forced to kind of buy something, whether, you know, when you go to your friend's Tupperware party or home party. Um, and so people were having more of these in-home like Facebook parties and things like that. So as we started seeing the shift in that and sort of loyalty programs, points programs, referral programs, and people utilizing social media um, to shop, we decided that we would pivot the business one more time and broaden it to an omni-channel, which really is about meeting the customer where they shop. So now mm-hmm. we have a Brooks and Mortar store, we have an affiliate network, which means that Anyone can sell our product Mm -hmm. through their own link. So you just Mm -hmm. click on the link and they would get credit for that. So whether Mm -hmm. it be an influencer or, um, or a a stay at home mom or, or stay at home dad or anyone can sell the product. Um, and then also direct to to our e-commerce platform. So it just allows us to broaden our distribution. It allows us to meet our shopping shopper where they shop, where they like to shop. It's a multi kind of dimensional platform where you can maybe go into a store and touch and feel the product, but then go online and buy it. So it's about resiliency and flexibility and being nimble and being, and also reacting when you need to react and making quick decisions. And they're hard. Sometimes they're really, really hard. Sometimes you, you can feel like everything is, is difficult. But when you get to the other side of it, you know, there's so much momentum that you, if you really trust your gut, that's the number one thing is just trust your gut. Your gut knows when you need to start making some changes, but just don't wait too long. So, you know, I find it if every pivot point that you've talked about is not a light decision, it's not like, oh, we're going to have turquoise yeah. this season instead of Kelly yeah, Green. Exactly. I you have know. to make those ones too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. But these are pivotal, pivotal decisions yeah. that you're making that have massive repercussions across so yeah. many different factors. Who's been mentoring you? How did you, how were you able to stay resilient? And to, mm-hmm. to, to chart that clear path through the murky waters of these pivots. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the, you know, I've heard it before and it's around yourself, surround yourself with smarter people than you. Yeah. And, you know, and then also to that point of like, trust your gut. Um, so one is starting, well, one purely data, like looking at the data, the growth, mm-hmm. like your numbers never lie. So mm-hmm. always be really focused on where the numbers are proving out. Like is your sales growing? Is your sales declining? Why, you know, those kind of number points are key. Those are like big indicators. And then when you, when you know the things that, or you sense the things that you need to do, um, one, I always go to my, my number one thing. And I talked about this at the conference that we were together at the mompreneur conference mm-hmm. was your mission and your why. So mm-hmm. always like being, having a strong, strong why. And our why is obviously about empowering children to, you know, to, to play and, and have a healthy start in life grounded in play. And that's our mission is just really about preserving that. Um, so when you have a strong why it is what gets you up in the morning to fight the battles that you need to fight. Because right. um, if you don't have a strong why, you know, you know, it's like, oh, why am I, why am I taking all my time to do this when I'm not really passionate about it? So yeah. when you become extremely passionate about something and something that needs to really change in the world, or you want to be the change that you want to see in the world, then that will get you out out of those kind of hard times. So numbers, um, strong why, and then mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with really, really smart people. So yes. you know, and that could be mentors in different areas. Like you can have mentors in. I have one mentor who's really strong in culture and why and communication and all of that. And 
he always his name's Bix Bixon, B-I-X-B-I-C-K-S-O-N. And he mm-hmm. there's a he has a downloadable um book, but he was always really grounding me in what I'm doing in the world is really amazing and I have to keep doing it. So that in a really snapshot, like a small snapshot of what he would teach me. Cause that, that, cause that's the big thing is getting through those hard times and then tapping into the mentors. Um, like Daryl Kopke is, he was one of the number two employees at Lululemon built it mm-hmm. from the first store on West fourth to IPO hundred million dollar company. Wow. Um, really about, operational and you know and and all of that so you know and tapping into like the different areas of strength to kind of draw from those um their experiences and then the num- then it starts to become to start to create a pathway and you start to see it become clear so they are very very big dif- decisions and they're very pivotal yes. but if you have all of those things then it can be the guiding kind of force that takes you down the path and that path might you know, might, it might say, no, what you're doing is working. So keep down that path. And in some ways it'll say, no, I think you need to kind of change and this is going to be hard, but it'll be worth it. So it's also seeing the forest through the trees and just knowing that what you're doing for, for the right, you're doing it for the right reasons. but it is hard. hard. Um, But it's exciting when you're on the other side of it and you go, that was worth it. I just did that. It was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we just did a big pivot last year, and so we're just coming through that now and on the other side of it for the most part. And it's exciting to sort of see new life as well. What pivot did you take well, last year? Well, last year was when we moved from a direct sales platform to an omni-channel. I see. Um, and we brought along our we brought along our, our any of our reps that wanted to come with us from the mm-hmm. direct sales platform, and we mm-hmm. gave them a mechanism to be able to continue to sell. But then we also wanted to create other ways to sell too, so that we could broaden it um, yeah. because the because the world is changing. So yeah. um, it's about being relevant, staying relevant, mm-hmm. and we're excited to be on another you know trajectory of growth. Nice, that's amazing. Um, when you mm-hmm. think about sort of the business growth, and may, it this may not be a straightforward answer, but what were some of the systems, or what is one system that you implemented that really was critical? To your success? There's a lot, yes. but I think the key, and I, this is from my own experience, but I think the key thing that I see that is the most important in a business is culture mm-hmm. and communication within an organization because people are everything. And if you don't have people all going in the same direction, then you're never going to accomplish what you need to accomplish. So mm-hmm. there's points that I could say, from software or technology. Like I could say we implemented Shopify, which is an unbelievable platform yes. for e-commerce. Yes. That's like, you know, that's you can get that information really anywhere. Yeah. But from my experience, if you are not aligned with your team, with your staff, with your mm-hmm. culture, with your, your communication, you will get nothing done. You will be constantly managing people. You will be frustrated all the time. You'll be hiring the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll be... So alignment in communication and and, uh, conversation and your mission and your why and your strategies on how you, um, how you execute, how you roll out, how you just as a very small nugget of information about bringing background conversations to the foreground, meaning you have a, a meeting, you're talking about a strategy, everyone leaves everyone agrees in the meeting and then everyone leaves and at the water cooler, everyone's talking about how that, you know, it's not going to work. 
Mm-hmm. And then what happens is background conversations run organizations. Right. So even though you thought you had alignment in a meeting, there was an alignment and everyone's back talking. So, so it's about bringing all the background conversations at, to the foreground in that meeting and having everyone have full transparency. Um, and sometimes you won't have alignment and then there's ways to sort of manage that. But but really giving everyone the opportunity to, to move forward in, in the direction or work out some of the issues that need to be worked out. So that's just one small little piece of that, what you, we do. I love how you call it a small little piece because <laughs> like <laughs> I, I hear you, but I, I also feel like that's just a, a really critical piece. And it, you know, you said right at the top yeah. that when you were selling wholesale, what you didn't like is that you weren't in control of that brand story. And so yeah. to me, that whole culture transcends both what you sell and I'm hearing it now that it happens behind the scenes. I understand how you've totally. maintained that brand story by by pulling the sales more in-house, if you will, through various channels. How do you get those open lines of communication with your team to make it safe for your team to speak up when they're not in alignment with what's being said? I talk about Brene Brown a lot. And mm-hmm. I read Dare to Lead and also with Bix, working with Bix, he taught me a lot about that. But Brene talks about vulnerability in the mm-hmm. workplace like shame and vulnerability, you know, we're all afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or being shamed. Like it all comes down from the root of, you know, growing up in our own stories, our own families and all of that. So it's like creating safe places for Mm -hmm. everyone. And it's the language, you know, I have a background conversation and being able to have that opening to share it in a, where in a non attacking way mm-hmm. and also create that environment like Brene talks about it a lot creating that place for people to feel safe mm-hmm. so that they mm-hmm. can be transparent mm-hmm. um, and it takes time it definitely takes time and there's language that all goes along with it so that people you, you can't you know you can't shoot something down unless you have a solution to add to it and there's lots of different um, helpful kind of things that kind of tie into that. But but it's really about creating that space for everyone to have it. And then once somebody starts, you know, feeling open to that, it just becomes part of your culture. Mm-hmm. You know, as people come, when we're hiring people, we, we talk about things like that in the hiring process. Um, so people are aware because mm-hmm. it's not, you know, like some people, it's, you self-select yourself when you don't want to be a part of an organization that operates in a certain way. Right. And people leave. Um, and that's not to say it's like, you know, that cult kind of feeling, but it's just, it's not that at all. It's very much about being clear and aligned and also the le- how we treat each other. So for example, one of the things that I was taught is if someone comes to you and complains, our natural reaction is to kind of like maybe feed it or, you know, you know, we kind of get stuck in those conversations of complaining sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. really about like empowering the other person to say like, this is, this is really, really great information. Mm-hmm. Like who could you talk to that would really help you solve it? Right. As opposed to being like, Oh, I know it's so annoying or you know, yeah. <laughs> that kind of language, you know? So yeah. just really everyone being clear with each other. And, and it takes time and it's not, it's, you know, it's not, it's not perfect, but I really strongly r- recommend anyone to read Dare to Lead. Yes. Because there's so many valuable. So many levels. That are, yeah. She talks about operationing your values, like operationalizing your values, mm-hmm. um, which is strong, right? You can have your values, you can have the way that you, you know, think you want to be, but how do I actually operationalize these into a way that people can, you know, utilize them in an effective way? So I like what she talks about in the, in the book. 
tell us what is mm-hmm. your biggest lesson that you've learned over your years in business? Uh, my biggest lesson at the moment is that there's a solution for everything. Right. So I would often in the early days and for quite some time catastrophize everything, mm-hmm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. if the sky is falling, oh my God, this is, you know, this is everything. Yes. And I realize now that if you actually are clear and you communicate with people along the way and you find, you, you network and you find solutions mm-hmm. and nothing is the end of the world and that, um, that you'll get through things. Yeah. Um, but I'll, uh, you know, always have that, you really have to have a strong why in guiding you through that. But um, that's my lesson because you lose a lot of your life in worrying. Yes. Um, and I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of things happen to me in 14 years and I've always got through them and I didn't think I was going to. So that would be my biggest lesson. That's beautiful. Just trusting that yeah. you'll be okay yeah. and that you'll be taken yeah, care of. Be- That trust is so crazy. I love it. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a bit about your story and and telling us um, some really key takeaways. You know, that whole passion piece for me and owning your story and your brand story and then having that transcend into the culture of your company, I think is so important because I think so many of us just focus on what it is that we sell, but you're selling so much more than clothing and it's such a beautiful mission. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And I think just also to to end on that point is that the consumer nowadays needs more than just clothing. You know, we're we're in a millennial generation that need, you know, they need us. They need a story. They need engagement. They need to know that you're doing all of the great things that you're doing. They don't, they can buy clothes anywhere. So that's that's what makes it important. That's right. Amazing. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Tracy, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. I I think this is probably the first of a couple. Yeah, great. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Road to 7 podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. To learn more, visit SheilaCummins.com for more support along your road to seven figures and beyond in your business. See you next time.